everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 56, The Solus Project, recorded June 10th, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. This week, Seth and Chris test their muscles on carrying the show while Mark packs up his production for a move across the country. Uh, hey, Chris, what's going on? Not a whole lot, Seth. We're keeping it as functional as possible with the uh, the head guy out of here. Let's see if we can have a little bit of fun, though. Cool. And you, you just heard Chris Knees, the command line godfather of the Everyday Linux podcast. And I am Seth Anderson, known as the Gooey Kid. And, uh, yeah, as we said, Mark is not able to join us this week because he is literally, at this moment, packing up his studio, or at least that's what he said, to get out of the podcast. Uh, yeah, the slacker. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, we'll just, uh, I don't know, it feels almost sacrilegious to talk about bacon when Mark's not here. <laughs> it, it almost does, but you know, it's still, bacon's still yummy, and it still works great. Yes, so uh, if there's anybody <laughs> out there who sells bacon and would love to sponsor the uh, Everyday Linux podcast, we are still taking that. Um but yeah, I did not have, you know, I was talking to Chris before the show started, we're calling this the Solus Project, and I thought, wouldn't that be a great tie-in for the Prometheus movie? Doesn't it sound science fiction to you, Chris? It does. It sounds very science fiction-y. But uh, I haven't seen the movie yet either, so I can't comment one way or the other. I'm not as well-versed as our old co-host Aaron is, so uh, we'll have to swing it. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I, I looked at the schedule today to maybe catch a matinee of the movie. Um, but I mean, if you go by the times, it's like a seven hour movie or something because they're so long between showings. So I thought, well, you know, <laughs> I couldn't leave Chris alone on the podcast. So, oh yeah, it would have been tough with just me talking to myself. Yeah. But, uh, so, uh, Chris, where, what is this story you have about some passwords being leaked? Yeah, this is a big news this week. Um, so make sure you guys keep your passwords up to date and you reset them and do whatever you need to do for your LastPass. But the sites, the um, LastFM, which is a radio music scrubbing, scrubbing site so you can keep track of all your tracks that you play, that their passwords were compromised this week. So was LinkedIn, um, a, a social media site for uh, people looking for jobs and to find other people in, the, in their like field. And eHarmony, we all know what eHarmony uh, e is, I'm sure. If you're looking for your soulmate, you could probably go to eHarmony and find it, supposedly. Yeah, you know, um, it's been years ago, but I tried to sign up for the eHarmony website. And whenever, you know, they ask you, like, a battery of questions that, I don't know, no, you know, it was just like, question after question after question after question and finally I was like I don't care just let me get to the site and so but when I did it and I clicked on to find my matches I had like three and the closest one was in <laughs> New York State and I live in Texas so I'm like of course I'm sure they've added a few members since then because that was a long long time ago but you know I did not know about eHarmony and LastFM when I caught the story LinkedIn was the only one I heard of so I'm going to have to go change my LastFM if I can remember my last FM password um, and eHarmony, yeah. I got out of that years ago. So, well, I know I went through and me and Mr. LastPass went through and reset all my passwords for last FM and LinkedIn. Um, yeah, I, I, if it wouldn't have been for last for LastPass, I wouldn't have remembered either one of them. 
or been able to change either one of them because there were such big and nasty ones. But uh, yeah, there's a there's a site. I don't. I wish I would have linked it, but there's a site that actually tells us if your password's been compromised um, for LinkedIn. But uh, I did I didn't even know my password, so I couldn't check it anyway. I just reset it and went <laughs> on with it. Well, cool. Yeah, I uh, I did not like I say. You know, it's like I when I was looking for a job, I I was on LinkedIn all day every day, and uh, I don't use Last FM much because simply at my house, I just don't have the bandwidth to. to isn't that sad? I don't have the bandwidth to play music. You know, I'm not talking about Netflix. I'm talking about music. I don't even have the bandwidth to stream music um, in real time. So um, I really, I got out of using that, and I'll have to look and see what my password is. Um, I know if, I don't know if you still have a, there was a plugin at one time to, it would catalog your music that you played, and like it would read your iPod uh-huh. playlist, you know, after how many times you played, and it would be like a, a one-shot upload so, like, if you've been listening to your iPad, your iPod, or an MP3 player for a long time during the day, uh-huh. it automatically cataloged how many times you listened to the music and then uploaded it for you to Last FM without having to do it every time. Oh, so wow. it's, it's an interesting way to doing it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just um, you know, I don't really know a lot about Last FM. I just when I click on a, I put in the name of an artist or a band I want to listen to, and you know, about every fifth or sixth song is by them, which is much better than Pandora, where if you put in a song, you get none by the artist you selected and stuff by whom they think is like it. So I kind of switched yeah. from Pandora to Last FM. Um, but like I say, I don't really know all of its ins and outs. Well, I've been using Last FM for a long time. Um, it's not just a radio station. It will actually track what you've been listening to and suggest bands and music that's similar to what you've been listening to as the as you build a history with them uh, so it, it adds another layer of of stuff because like i've been using it for so long that i got like a, a couple hundred thousand tracks um logged and then so my, when i listen to the radio side of it it's actually i don't even have to tell it what band i want i just it, it just plays the stuff that's high on my listen list it's kind of cool. Oh, so it's yet another way where they are uh, they're data mining you for uh, all kinds yep. of stuff. Yeah, the good kid. Oh, yeah. The good kid is now known as uh, Tinfoil Hat Guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of tinfoil hats and the new plumbings, um, the internet get a, gets a new backbone this week. This year, or what? This week? Yeah, I, I know when the yeah it's been well. Of course, it's kind of been running. You're talking about IPv6, right? Yep. Cool. And hasn't it been running for a while, though? I know they did a test day a while back, but hasn't it been going for no. a while? No. What what they did is they did a test day, and then right. because after the te- once the test day was done, they put a date. I think it was what the sixth. Is that when it was, or just Tuesday or something? If I remember right. Yeah, I don't remember. But that's that's when Google actually turns on all. That's when Google turned on, and all the Google products turned on their. IPv6 addresses. So, as of Tuesday or whenever they whenever they made the switch, um, they're all now IPv6 enabled. Well, cool. But if your yeah, but if your ISP is an IV or IPv6 ready, then you still are on the old IPv4. Right. You can still get to the sites on IPv6. Yeah, I am. Um, aren't they going to be running kind of in parallel? Like they're both going to be running for several years. 
I at least that's yep. the last the last article I read on it said that you know IPv4 is still going to be around for a while. Yeah, that's what I read too. Um, and that's but the funny thing is is there's a YouTube video that we'll link in the show notes that leads to uh, one of the Googlers that he was one of the backbone guys who built IPv4. Uh-huh. And he talks about what happened um, with IPv4 and why there's only as many addresses as there are and the reason that we're moving to IPv6. Um, I kind of thought it was funny when they said that they could take all of the addresses from IPv4 and then make it into um, and still have a few hundred trillion, trillion, trillion accounts ready for everyone else to get new ones. Yeah. You know, you can tell when they designed, when version 4 was out, they did not see a need for as many IP addresses. Because think about that. 127.x.x.x. That entire thing is reserved for a loopback. You know, you only need yep. you only need one of those, and that's whatever two hundred and fifty six to the fourth power is, some big number minus one. That's a whole lot of IP yep. addresses right there. And then all the ones reserved for multicasts and all the special and testing ones. Yeah, it's just nuts. I I can't wait till we're all in IPv six. We won't be able to remember the addresses anymore, but uh, it'll be nice to have all those extra. IPs running around. Yeah, I'm going to have to hurry up and get the shirt that says there's no place like 127.0.0.1 because, you know, th- there's no place like he.04.ac. <laughs> just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But, uh, nah, it, it just doesn't fit. Yeah, so I got to get one of those. You know, like, um, you know, I'm an MCSE. Um, and whenever I first got my MCP, I bought a T-shirt and a polo shirt. I never bought the MCSE shirt, and I went last year to try to get one, and they don't sell them anymore. So I'm like, man, I never got one. So uh, I want to get one of the – there's no place like IPv4 home uh, before they quit making those. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure over at ThinkGeek would have one. Yeah. Those, those guys seem to have just about everything when it comes to T-shirts. I love ThinkGeek, man. I, uh, I got to put my ThinkGeek points to use here and build up some more. There you go. So speaking of building up some and and having some fun with things, E3 is going on right now. Is it still going on? I think today was the last. Either today was the last day or Saturday was the last day. Um, but yeah, if if it was, I th- I think at the time of recording, it's either the last day or their cleanup day. Okay. E3. But there is a lot of things that I, when I was reading the highlights, there were so many things I couldn't put them all on the list. I just kind of p- cherry picked the top ones that I found. Um, they have a dedicated year for when the Xbox, the new Xbox and the new PlayStation 4 comes out. So uh-huh. the Xbox 720 and PlayStation 4 are due out in 2013. Yeah. So if you're looking at getting a 360 or anything and you have, and you want to start saving up for the newer versions, now would be time to start saving and maybe not get your 360. Man, I hope when they release Halo 4, I just hope it comes out on the 360. Because I have a 360, and I love Halo, but uh, I don't know if I would buy a 720. Because I haven't played my 360 this year. Or I don't even think I played it last year. (laughs) Yeah, I don't even have an Xbox at my house. So I might just start putting my pennies away and pick up the, the 720 when it comes out next year. Yeah, the one thing I hate that they did, you know, with... 
I know with the PS2 you could play all of the original PlayStation games. Um, but when the 360 came out, you could play some of the of the Xbox games if you got the compatibility upgrade before they took them off the network. So the first yep. the first thing I did when I got my 360 was I took all of my Xbox games, I loaded them in the computer or I loaded them in the Xbox and tried to uh and all of them that would pull an update, I updated. So uh I don't think I ever played any of them, but I got the updates. <laughs> so well that works then too. Yeah. So I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, our next thing from E3, but um, I, I know that my kid plays these all the they he plays the death out of them. Uh-huh. But they have now they have now made a Lego Lord of the Rings. Really? Yes. Dude, I you know, I've never played any of the Legos things, but they look fun. You know, it it's go ahead. I was gonna say I've played the Lego Star Wars and me and my son have beat that one so bad into submission that uh we don't even bother taking it out of the case anymore. <laughs> well, yeah. um, and we've also got the Lego Batman and Lego Indiana Jones. And they are they're, they are quite fun. They are quite comical to play. Um, they do some neat little spin-offs of you know, what each character would look like if they were built in Legos. So it would be interesting to what they do to Lord of the Rings. Yeah, because you know, you think about that. If if you if you take a battle axe and you hack somebody in the head and their skull splits open and blood flies everywhere, well, you know, you got parents and religious groups complaining. But man, you know, if you take a piece of Lego and hit another Lego and a block falls off, well, everybody just laughs at that. So, uh, yep. yeah, I uh from the demos and videos I've watched online, just even the Lego games have been fun to just watch. There's just some it's absurd enough and funny enough that you can kind of enjoy it, you know, and, and oh, yeah. you don't have, you're not desensitizing yourself to killing people, I guess. <laughs> uh, well, no, you're just breaking Legos into pieces. Right. Which, you know, one of us, when you played with Legos as a kid, did you ever get mad and just, ah, you know, smash them? <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. Uh, actually, it wouldn't be down. I always threw it across the hall and it hit the wall and shattered into a billion pieces. And then I was, you know, having to spend the next couple of hours picking them all up. You know, that would be fun if there was like a, a god cheat code that you could put in and you see these human hands reach down and grab something and smash <laughs> it. That would be that awesome. That would be fun. That would be cool. You should you should you should put that in as a, a feature request for one of the the Lego guys when they're building their next one. Yeah, so the no, I'm just going to I'm going to spend a couple of years and learn programming and I'm going to do it myself. <laughs> there you I, go. That would be funny. It would be good, and I have no idea how to transfer into the next one. But let's get into some Linux news. And so, uh, Mandriva is going back to the community. Yeah, this is um for we've had so much like warm up and fluff in our last several episodes that you know we kind of push the news back and push the news back. So one of the things we have a chance to do now is kind of go through and talk about some of the stuff from the last month that we didn't cover, but we think is pretty important. And when I read this story, this happened about the middle of May is when this was released. Um, you know, Mandriva, isn't it one of the, like, grandfathers of the Linux distributions? Hasn't it been around for a while? Yeah, it's been around for a long time. Um, it's gone through a lot of iterations. And the most recent one is when Mandriva started to charge for their product. And so now Mandriva, um, I don't remember the other name of the distro, but they uh, they branched when they went 
there's a free version and then there's also a paid version. Uh-huh. And when they branched off, the free version just kept on trucking. And the paid version, of course, no one wants to pay for something you can get for free. They all, all the customers jumped to the free version. And so the Mandrivas kind of fell on its head. So now it's going back to the community. Um, I'm not sure how well this is going to work, though, because with that fracturing, there's going to have to be some sort of, of remending of the two distros to get them back to being under the same roof again. Right. Yeah. My uh, my take of this is that, you know, they're trying to save uh, like a sinking ship. So, uh, you know, it's been around, I guess, since like 1998 is whenever it first started. So, you know, it's got cred in the old school Linux people, um, but it's, you know, they they saw that what they did, or I don't know if they saw it was wrong or not, but they realized that it was dying, and so they're trying to breathe some life into it by opening opening it back up to the community and uh, just making it free and kind of open source again. So, uh, which I guess always technically it was, but now the community has more involvement, and so it's not just some company telling you that this is what your new version of Linux is going to be. The community gets to, you know, hey, we want this. Hey, here's a bug fix. Hey, here's a feature request. So I yeah. think, you know, it, it's good news for Mandriva. My question would be, is it too little too late? You know? Well, there's always the people that are going to stick by it and say, you know, you know, Mandriva is dead. Long live Mandri- Mandriva. So, right. you know, it's it's going to be around. But the question is, is it, has the damage been done too far to let it come back and become a, another jewel of the Linux community? Right. Uh, we'll find out soon, I'm sure. Yeah, and you know, and we we've talked about it a lot. Is the community too fractured? Could this not be a good thing if Mandriva dies? And uh, and those developers, you know, didn't go out and start a new distribution based on Mandriva. But if they went and joined, whether it be Ubuntu or Linux Mint or Fedora or or pick one, or even the one we're talking about, going to be talking about today, uh, Solus. I mean, you know, it, it could be bad news for Mandriva, but if it goes under, that could be good news for the community because you have more skilled developers working on one fewer distributions. Right. So, yeah, like I said, we'll we'll see how this jewel turns out. Either it's going to shine back up or it's going to crack into dust. So, yeah, and you know, that kind Farewell, of... Farewell, Mendriva. <laughs> it's nice to... It'll nice be nice to see you come back. Yeah. It kind of ties in with the next article that uh, I wanted to talk about. And whenever, you know, we'll have all of these whenever we release it. Um, we'll, uh, we'll put all of these in the notes for it. Um, there's some trouble, and this came, this was announced a couple of weeks ago, that um, there's three major Linux desktop application developers that um, are kind of, they're not really producing apps anymore. And uh, it has everything gone web-based, you know, and is everything in the mobile community, and so there's nobody left making Linux apps. You know, if everything is, you get on Firefox, or you get on Conqueror, or you get on Chrome, and do something from the web, then what's the point in having a hundred different Linux distros if there's no programs for them? So, um, you know, some of the old big players, you know, like Adobe, for instance, they announced that Adobe Flash Player will be 11.2 is the last native version for Linux. They've been involved with Linux for years. 
Um, you know, and of course, it's not totally dead because Chrome will have a uh, Flash built into it. Um, and of course, you know, uh, HTML5 is around the corner. But you know, here's somebody who was producing apps for Linux that they aren't doing it anymore. Um, Google has even stopped, like Picasa for Linux. They don't do that anymore. You know, it, it they still have one out there and you can still work, but they aren't going to be adding to it. Um, so, uh, you know, and even there's some fire, Mozilla is even not developing as much on Linux as they have in the past, which, you know, you know, Mozilla is in kind of open source, you know, it's one of the shining lights in open source because pretty much everything they have is open source, but they're not, they're not fully developing all their products for Linux either. So, you know, I don't know. I really don't know how to talk about this story without getting into so much details that, you know, everybody goes, uh, sorry, I fell asleep. Um, yeah. I, what well, do you think about this trend? Um, I, I think it, it's, it's a little bit of both for me for both ways. I think it's a great idea that we're trying to offload some of this, heavy draw on the desktops and offloaded to the cloud because as our network connections get faster and faster, the the power of your home PC isn't as much as your the power of the stuff that's up in the network. So that it, it hurts me to hear that that's that your desktop applications are going to be less supported. But now the question I have though is that just means they're not going to be compiling them into binaries. Are they still releasing their source for, say, Mozilla Firefox? Because if they're still releasing their source to, say, the community, then any developer can go through with your GCC compiler and make that compiler now a, or make that source code now into a, a binary that you can release. So it, it's a mixed bag. Is it bad? Eh, it could be. But as long as they're still releasing source, it won't really hurt us too bad in, in the Linux camps because. Most of those those RPMs or those deb files aren't made by the parent company. They're made by somebody who's maintaining those um, binaries. So it's a bad thing, but it's a good thing. But it's a thing that we won't know exactly how much this is going to hurt Linux until we come down. The thing that really makes me worry, though, is like I see some of the pro the programs that they were talking about in here that they're not seeing any more traction on. And that kind of makes me sad. Like um, GNU Cache, that is a, a Linux equivalent for Quicken or QuickBooks, and they don't really, they're not making much movements. So I'm wondering, is the community behind those programs failing? Or is it just, are they picking up their stakes and going to the, the Quickens or the Mint or you know, some other replacement tool or are they just doing everything in the cloud through their bank? So it'd be, I, I want to know what's going on before I, I really say too much on this. And I have a hard time believing that Google's going to drop all support for Linux because they're a non-Microsoft camp. So that means it's either Linux or Apple in their, in their shop. So I'm kind of curious to find out what happens, you know, unless Google is more, is, doing some more trimming of the fat and is turning into their, you know, like they trimmed the Picasa off because Picasa works so well in wine. Why hold a native app for, 
for Linux when the Wine version works so well. Yeah. Well, and then again, you know, Google is developing Android. So it's like, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of the same thing. You know, Microsoft never released uh, a Linux version of anything. I mean, I mean, that's probably an overstatement. But, you know, there isn't Microsoft Office for Ubuntu. You know, granted, now you could do the Office 365 or whatever, the web-based one. But, you know, and Apple, you know, there's no iTunes for Linux because they have their own. And that's what they're pushing. They want, Apple wants people on the iPhone and the iOS. So, you know, we're not going to support for Android. And, of course, Microsoft, they want you to buy Windows. So they're not going to release for Linux. Um and, you know, I like to have the choice. And, you know, what you said, putting more stuff on the cloud, well, you know, again, not everybody has fast connections. And more every – I work for a, a cable company, and one of the things the cable company I work for, they want – they want metered service on your uh, Internet connection, you know, $10 a gig or, or whatever the price ends up being. So if everything you have is on the cloud, I mean, you, know, you have a laptop that's perfectly capable of running a web server. I mean, look at how powerful our laptops or even desktops have become, but yet they don't do anything but pull up a web browser. I mean, if that's the case, I can just, I'll never need to buy anything else. I just keep updating my netbook. Um, so I, I don't like the idea of having everything on the cloud when there's no option to do it locally. And that's my fear is that once everything is on the cloud, then all of a sudden, you know, you don't have the ability to do things yourself. You're at somebody else's mercy. The way things are going, people are, are trying to get their stuff knocked up off or into the cloud. Um, but most people don't need the power that are behind, you know, a big desktop or a big laptop anymore. Uh, most of the people that I deal with are dealing with, you know, all they want to do is open a web browser. And they love the fact that they have those little iPads and those little eye touches and um, the fire and everything else. So, you know, people are starting to move on their own to the cloud without even wanting to have that local, the local storage or the local anything. They just say, give me a tablet and I'll be done with it. Yeah, and I, I don't like that. But again, I'm not like most people, so unfortunately, that's probably the form factor that will win because it's the one I don't like. Well, and you know that kind of ties in. <laughs> that kind of ties into the next story. Um, this is one I came across. Uh, I guess. Wow. I guess you know most of these so far are from about two weeks ago, and it was talking about how Ubuntu for Android. So there is currently a product to make Ubuntu basically an app for Android that like you can launch from Android and be running. So I, my understanding of the project is it's sort of like making Ubuntu a virtual machine inside Android. Is that your take from that? Um, see, I didn't actually get to this story when I was looking through all the notes. Um, I got, every, I got to everything else, but this one is so this is the one that I didn't really spend much time on because I really didn't think it is really going to have much effect. Yeah. Um, or go ahead. I was going to say, the only thing I could tell is that, you know, maybe the Android people can tell Ubuntu a better way of doing stuff and make their, how fat, you know, they, they could be the test bed for some of the Android features because they move so quickly 
where androids are still moving at a pretty slow pace. Right. Yeah, you know, and that was one of the things the article talked about is how um, Ubuntu for Android, and this I'm just quoting it a little bit here, uh, blends Android and Ubuntu in a perfect manner. Ubuntu and Android share the same Linux kernel instance, so there is no dual booting. They run in parallel. When the need arises, the user can switch to the desktop interface of Ubuntu for productive work, typically when a mouse and keyboard gets attached to the device, like in a docking station. And it says the two operating systems are completely synergistic. Some example, Ubuntu is capable of using the databases of Android. Um, Ubuntu uses Android's network management. You keep all of your touch applications and use them on the Android interface. And Android's touch applications can also be displayed on Ubuntu's desktop. You know, I mean, when you think about this, it's kind of cool. It's almost like you could take... Two as long. I guess the one thing is they would have to both be based on the same Linux kernel. You know, you could have Android and Ubuntu installed, or think Android and Mint, or you could install and run these parallel, so you don't have to. You know, I get, it sounds a lot like it's um, not virtual machine, but almost virtual applications. Um, yeah, I would say it's more virtual applications than anything else. Right. Um, but, you know, on the same note, we still already have something that's, I guess, probably the first generation of that with the Transformer Prime. Right. Because doesn't the Transformer Prime switch between a Linux install and a, a Android install when it goes on? Uh, this would be a question Mark would know because he has one. But my understanding is that, you know, basically the, the transforming part is it transforms from a tablet into a... You know, you're still using basically the same OS. You just get, apparently, you know, it has like a longer battery life and keyboard and touchpad. Um, so I don't know the answer to that question. Um, hmm. But something other, this this hybrid combination in that kind of form factor where you have a tablet that you could turn into a uh, into a computer with like a some type of docking station. I think the concept is really cool. And, you know, this way, you know, like one of the bad things about Ubuntu is they're kind of going towards the tablet market uh, and the touch interface. And so it still runs on a desktop or, or a regular notebook. But in a sense, it's almost forcing them to behave like a tablet. You know, in this, the cool thing about this story is you can have the tablet-centric OSs, such as Android, of course, it's the most popular now. Mego has, even though it's technically still alive, it's it's kind of dead. You know, you could have those tablet-centric OSs, and then you could have the uh, desktop-centric OSs running at the same time. And uh, you have access to your same stuff. You know, you don't have to have your five gigs of music on your laptop and on your tablet you just have them one time, so you don't need all the storage because you're not duplicating data across devices. It's a pretty cool concept, and you know, hopefully Android doesn't try to become a full-fledged OS and kind of leave behind tablets. And then hopefully, you know, Ubuntu would turn course and stay and not try to become a mobile OS. It, it's it's a really cool concept. It's something you need to talk about. So, yeah. Well, and that also brings up the fact that Google and um, Asus have joined forces on the tablets. The next 
Nexus 7 tablet comes up on some batch, the benchmark sites. Right. And there has been official notice that Google and Asus are in talks for how to develop the next tablet. Right. So it'll be, that'll be a neat one to see when it comes to market. Um, right now, it's just up on some benchmark sites. Um, I don't know. How, I personally don't really trust the beta build benchmarks for when I'm right. looking at stuff. So, you know, yeah, it's it's cool because I really love Asus, and I, I hope they do a great job on the Google Nexus tablet. Maybe it'll actually make me buy their tablet, um, <laughs> but I doubt it. We'll see. Yeah. and Speaking uh, of Android... For also speaking of Android updates and uh and things for the the from the Googles, uh they have released the Google Plus update for Android, so that brings a whole new layer to Google Plus in your Android device. Yeah, we had covered maybe about a month ago now that Google released an update for the iOS and they did not update the Android, and we commented on how it was like. You know, it's kind of funny because they're the ones who developed Android, and yet they released the iOS first. And apparently, the the um, the Android update has a couple of features that are missing from the i from the iOS. It's almost like they use that as a beta for their Android. But you can one of the things you can do now is before you could join a Hangout, now you can actually start a Hangout from your mobile phone um and then of course it supposedly and again i don't have android i've tried a couple of times to install it on one of my netbooks but it hasn't worked uh yet but i'm still i have not given up on that it um it apparently looks a lot nicer too so it looks more uh tablety and you know less clunky is my my take on it you know, and and just just to let everyone know, we are changing this uh, to everyday Google because it seems like uh, most of our stories have been about Google. And actually, the the next one we'll just kind of put this link in the show notes because it's it's a lot more up Chris's alley. It's Grieve, which is a free open source Google Drive client for Linux, which is one of the things Google has not released a Google Drive client for Linux, but this is like an open source tie-in that kind of does it and it's called grieve g-r-i-e-v-e if you want to look at that for your android because one of the one of the uh, shortcomings of android is like google docs you know and try to try to create and edit and a bunch of people in like google docs at the same time and of course google drive is an extension of that and i yeah i kind of i kind of applaud google for holding off until they get it right but you would think, since they developed Google Apps and they developed Android, they could have gotten it right before now. Um, yeah, you would think. But uh, from what it looks like, it's not an easy thing to set up. Right. But the little walkthrough seems to be pretty pretty sufficient. I, I would think that if anybody is can at least do some copy-paste, they should be able to take care of it. Right. Um, but, yeah, um, it'll be nice to see when we actually get a full-fledged Google Drive app from Google. Hopefully we actually see something soon. Yeah, that would be really cool. I would, uh, come on Google, do your thing. Uh, and of course they've I been would wa- definitely move. <laughs> they've been waiting on me to tell them, so they're going to get started on that mm-hmm. right now. Sweet, good, thanks, Seth. We'll we'll, yeah. we'll enjoy that. Yeah. Um, but speaking of things moving on, one of the things that I thought was interesting is that Mint is now having a new a new sponsor based uh, um, project called the Mint Box, 
Um, I always thought I, I was reading through this, and it's kind of a neat little thing. Um, I personally don't think I would get one, but it's kind of a neat little device. Yeah, it's um, for those of you who have not heard yet, um, the company CompuLab, they've kind of partnered with Linux Mint, and they produce, if you think, um, you know, when the netbooks came out, um, they also made what people called a net box, which was, you know, tiny little computer. And that's kind of what this model is. It's very small. It has tons of connectivity options, like eight USB ports. And apart from the sound the hard drive makes, it's like completely solid state and doesn't make hardly any noise at all. And it is about the size of a DVD case. So it, it, it's tiny. Um, yeah, uh, and you get like a 250 gig hard drive, which is plenty because, as we just said, everything's going to the cloud anyway. Uh, but uh, you know, and so if you're looking for, if you want to buy somebody, you know, like one one of the things, if right now if you go buy a computer from HP or whatever, it comes with Windows, and so you have to go and then wipe it and put Linux on there, or whatever other OS you want. You know, here's a box that comes with Linux Mint, one of the easiest distributions that just kind of works out of the box and looks pretty and they spent time on the polish. So you're not paying for a Microsoft license you will never use. Um, but anyway, the Mint, um, what is it called again? Mint Box. Yep, Mint Box. A portion of all the proceeds go to Mint too, so that's kind of a nice little sponsor. So if you want to help a distro out, you know, you can pick up a mint box. Um, there's a, I can see it doing a bunch of different things. Um, I think the first gen is always the rockiest. Right. So it'd be interesting to see what happens on the second gen. And I bet you it'd make one heck of a media center if you wanted to have this as your 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 boxy box replacement or your computer that attaches to your comp your TV. Uh huh. Uh, I could see this being a big a big win for most people. Right, and you know. Uh, I'm trying to, golly, just give me the, uh, I'm trying to see how much they cost. <laughs> um, and, oh, I don't think they're in, I don't think they're in storage yet. I think this is just a, a release notice saying that they're coming. Oh. Because I don't see any place to buy it. But uh, I would say probably end of the month, in the next month or so, um, I would say that they're going to be alive and, and ready to be bought. Yeah, I. Uh, like they come with cinnamon. Oh, here we go. I found prices. Um, the basic box, which is their lower end, is four hundred and seventy-six dollars, um, and that comes with uh, the two hundred fifty-six hard drive. Uh, it looks like a Radeon video card and four gigs of RAM. The Pro box has a dual-core one point six gigahertz processor. And eight megs of RAM, so yeah. for yeah, that it, it's it's priced at the medium point of a of a standard PC, so it's kind of a neat little thing. Yeah, um, and of course you know, to me those I mean those prices are a little high because you could go get basically two of the net top boxes. You know, granted you're getting and just for people listening, you know, you like wow one gig dual core machine. Uh, you know, you think that's not much, but Linux is not as bloated as Windows, so it doesn't take 
the same amount of processing power to get a job done because it's not running as fast. Um, but and so that's more than adequate to run Linux and to run it very well. And you got four gigs of RAM for the base model. To me, those prices seem a little high because you could go buy a full size desktop for that. Um, yeah. And uh, well, it's going to be high because it will just like the the guys over at um, the with that the Linux store. What is that system seventy six? Uh huh. Their their prices are a little bit higher than the standard price if you're to go buy it because they're not getting any kickbacks from Microsoft. Right. So of course it's going to be a little bit higher. But you know if you think about it, this thing is designed to sit and run at an idle speed of about eight watts of power consuming. Right. Um, that's that's pretty impressive for that big of, for that spec. Um, uh, I mean, like I said, it would be good for a kid to have, good for a, a, your media center PC. Um, yeah, I could see a lot of people using it for their desktop as long as they're just using it for, you know, like say grandma who wants to have a big screen but doesn't want to spend a lot of money on a laptop or something of that similar. Right. Like. But it, uh, it's cool looking. I can't wait to see what people start doing with it. I could see the hacking community, um, the hacking mods that would and modders go crazy with this thing. Yeah, you know, and it's one of those things, if we got more volume, you know, and that's why, you know, if you're asking why is HP or Dell or Lenovo able to sell cheaper, they do it because of volume. If more people bought this, I'm sure the price would come down um, and, it, you know, making it more affordable for more people to buy. But it's one of those, you know, dedicated, most people who buy, who run Linux have a Windows machine that they repurposed. Whether they bought yep. it new or it's a or it's an older model that Windows no longer effectively runs on, um, so here's a chance for us to support the Linux community and uh, get better products faster. And speaking, since we're on the subject of Mint, I say we go on to our full story. Okay. Um, uncover Solus OS. Okay. Because this is a this is a distribution that comes from the Debian world, um, but it's also based. The guys who started it start or were some of the base founders for LMDE, which is the Linux Mint Debian edition. And before, wasn't Ubuntu based off of Debian? So isn't Linux Mint like a grandchild of Debian anyway? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it Debian is Debian would be the grand would be the the grand poobah, and then underneath that would be Ubuntu, and then underneath Ubuntu would be um, Mint. But in this case, this is this Solus OS is based off of the Grand Poobah Debian, right? So it eliminates all of the Ubuntu fluff that they've put into it, or their spins on things. It's strictly running off of Debian. So a lot of the programs are a little older. Um, like Firefox is currently only at level twelve, or level twelve at version twelve instead of version thirteen. So that's kind of a nice thing. In my experience, though, when I was installing it, it was kind of a pain in the butt to get installed. The The biggest thing that, the hurdle that I saw was that it didn't do any wizarding for your partitioning. Um, right. You had a, a fairly wide range of, of options for installing. Um, most of the EX formats, none of the, there was no ButterFS yet, um, but they did offer NTFS off the bat. Which is interesting. I've never heard of a Linux install offering NTFS right off the stop. Really, I've seen I've seen several where that is an option. Have you? Yeah. 
what was it in the wizard, or did you have to go through it by by hand? Um. You know, if I looked at it, it was probably in the wizard because I don't do a lot of, uh, you know, I don't do a lot of manually tweaking. But here's the thing. Even though there wasn't the wizard, just by looking at the screen and reading, I had no problem as far as like installing it. I was able to, you know, it said you have to load grub. So I went, okay, here goes. And it worked. And I chose the partition. I had a chance to create some type of file structure. I just accepted the default and um, I let it install. I got to admit, that little world thing with like the plasma looking stuff coming out of it, that looks really, really cool. Um, the one thing I noticed whenever I installed it is none of my networking worked. But when I rebooted it, my, uh, my wired work and it sees wireless, but I, or it sees that I have a wireless thing, but I can't get wireless to connect on it yet. And I've tried, I found the like, you know, sudo app get blah, 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 blah. But for whatever reason, I haven't been able to reach the Debian FTP repositories. It's always aired out trying to reach those. So, um, but, uh, I, I love, See, when I was, go ahead. I was impressed. I was impressed with it. Um, that little globe with the plasma thing—that's actually a Fedora bootloader. Just so you can get a, a little tease about that, Fedora. Dude, don't say Someone that. Stole your bootloader. Don't say that because <laughs> the worst experience I ever had was that Fedora's first attempt at GNOME. You know, I'm still—I still have nightmares. I, I hate hats now <laughs> because of that. Um, but one of the things that kind of bothered me uh, because I'm so used to seeing it is the option to encrypt your home drive. That wasn't there. Um, it also said that it'd be very quick, and in my install into my little virtual system, um, it took almost 45 minutes to install instead of the 10 minutes that it did to install um, all the Ubuntu derivatives because it doesn't do anything in the background. It actually waits for you to do it, to answer all the questions before it goes to install. So that was kind of a weird thing that I noticed. Um, but that is what Debian is like. So that's kind of a I was expecting it. Um, one of the other things I noticed that was kind of interesting, like Mint, they offer a lot of things pre-installed for you. Um, so there's some some gray area, so be, beware, guys, that there, there might be something in here that your area might not allow you to have installed by default. Stuff like your Windows codecs or Flash, those are all installed by default. And this is a new one to me. Did you notice that Blu-ray was installed? Um, when I went, it was not but an update came up for it. So um, for whatever, I don't know, I guess um, maybe that's something somebody packaged in the VM you saw, but I know I installed mine a couple of nights ago, and then today when I was messing with it, there was an update for Blu-ray. So um, now whether it was there before and this was an update for that, I don't know, but I don't have a Blu-ray player anywhere or any, you know, thus I don't have any Blu-ray disc to know if it was... Uh, if it was there or not, but I did see an update for it today, and I use. Yeah, I, or go ahead. No, go ahead and finish your thought. Yeah, no, I was gonna say I used. Um, I went to install it with PenDrive Linux. You know where that takes the ISO and it converts it onto a flash drive. The version I had, 1.8.9.8, did not support it. But there's a new one out, 1.9.0. And it does support the Solus. Um, so if you have a Solus ISO, 
and you want to uh, install it via a thumb drive so you don't have to burn a DVD, um, and it, it won't fit on a CD, it is, uh, it's bigger than one CD, go out and get 1.9 of Pendrive Linux, which is an executable. Um, I did it from a Windows machine, but I know it, you can do it through Linux as well. Um, you just you launch that executable at, from Pendrive Linux, and then you tell it what OS you want to use, and then you point it to the ISO for that OS, and it basically extracts the ISO onto that flash drive. So when I put the flash drive in, you know, I had the option to use Solaris, but I went ahead and installed it, and I don't remember exactly how long it took. I think it it might have taken me about 45 minutes, but part of that was because it was prompting at a question that I didn't realize because I was doing this while I was watching a movie, like at 2 o'clock Friday night. So, um. uh, But like I said, you know, it, it's not a bad install. Um, it's a very fluid and clean install. Um, the interface itself is GNOME 2, so that's kind of a, a nice thing. It's it's nice to be back in something familiar. Uh, but on the same note, it, it felt a little clunky on some spots because it is GNOME 2, and there's no help, so to speak. Like if you're in GNOME 3 or KDE, um, in the newer versions, you can start typing in a program, and it'll start looking for it for you. Um, all that stuff is stripped off because it's GNOME 2. But you, so you say that. Thing. You say that, but when you go to menu, there is a uh, there's a search field that um, works just like in Windows 7. Like uh, when I click on menu and then under search, I type in NET and I can get to network or network connections or network proxies. So Right. It, it works, but it's not as... It, the, the fluidity isn't there. It feels like a, you know, like you're could chunk into something else. So, uh, you know, it, it may be just something that the interface in my system had set up where it was kind of flaky. Uh-huh. Um, but it felt, you know, and this is still a pretty early release of the system. It's still pretty young. So there might be some bugs that they're trying to squish out of the, the startup menus. But all in all, I thought it was a very quick system in my virtual machine. I had it, I restricted the resources really far down to see how low I could actually get this thing to go. And even at 256 megs of RAM, this thing still purred like a kitten. So I was pretty surprised at that. Um, the biggest thing I had a problem with, Seth, is the same thing you did with your wireless connection. Is I couldn't get the thing to connect to the internet. No matter what adapter I fed it, no matter what I changed, every connection, wire or wireless, failed on mine. So I don't know if I just maybe had a bad install. Um, I didn't check the ISO, so that could be part of it too. Well, uh, and like I say, mine, I had no ability to connect when I first installed it, but after I rebooted, then my wired worked, um, and mm -hmm. I, I could type in my wireless connection, so, you know, I put in the name of my SSID and then my security code, and it took it all, but it, it doesn't work. Um, so, but again, I haven't given up on that. I just, um, I haven't spent a lot of time on it because I'm actually trying to fix some other computers with physical issues. So my, uh, my time to play is kind of re restricted a bit. Yeah. That's typical for us computer guys. Yeah. We always have something and that's, there's always something else, more priorities that we're working on. Um, but yeah, I would say out of all the distros I've played with, um, I'm I'm not, I'm a fan of Solus. I think it's a great project. I don't think I would use it as a day-to-day -day machine. 
Um, not yet. Maybe in a couple re uh, releases when it's got a little bit more time under its belt. Um, but we'll see how long it lasts before it gets if if it takes traction or not, and, and people start using it. Uh, I wonder if it might be too little, too late. People are starting to get used to GNOME 3 and, are st and Unity, and if they're not using Unity or GNOME 3, they're moving off into a different distro or a different desktop environment like KDE or XFCE or even um, LMDE. So I, I hope it's not too little, too late. I hope that you know the the spirit of GNOME 2 lives on with Solus. But uh, it won't be sitting on my box for much longer after this. Yeah, I mean, you know, I installed it on a Dell Mini. So, uh, you know, it's not like I installed it on a supercomputer by any stretch. Man, it boots up quick. Uh, programs launch quick. Um, it, it's, it's pretty snappy. It's pretty light on the resources. Much lighter than, uh, than like um, Ubuntu or... Uh, Linux Mint, uh, you know, it, it's much faster than those. Um, so, and of course, I I like the interface, the the GNOME 2. It works well. I'm sub. It if you use Windows 7, I mean, you know, you got your menu button and you got the thing in the two screens where you can click and get a sub menu. You don't have any problems. Like I don't know what stuff is called in Linux, like I do in Windows, but I start typing. I use that search bar. You know, I don't need to use it when I'm in Windows 7 because I know what stuff is called because I'm in that every day and that's my job. That's what I get paid to use and support. But the search feature for me is turning up stuff and I notice, you know, I only have to get a few letters in. If I want to, if I don't want to search everywhere, I can click on a category and then when I search, it limits its search to that category. So it is very snappy. I'm kind of like you. Um, I don't know that it, it would be every day, but I can see where someone who didn't need a lot, this would be perfect for them because there's not a lot of stuff yeah. to clutter. Uh, you know, if you just want to get on Facebook and you just want to go to Ancon or play some stupid games, this would be perfect for you. It it doesn't use the resources. It's not a resource hog. This is a, you know, one of the things we've talked about is how if you have an older computer, Linux is perfect for you. Um, you know, this this is an OS that fits that bill. You know, you've got a machine that maybe you bought either just before Vista was released or about that time. So maybe just one or two gigs of RAM. And you're like, you know, I can run Windows 7 on it, but it doesn't run well. And, you know, if I put the latest version of uh, Mint, I have problems because the video card is so old. Well, you know, this would be a perfect OS for you. It is snappy. It doesn't use all the resources. And you you can bend it to your will. So it, it is yeah. not polished, but at the same time, it might not be polished, but there aren't a ton of errors. Like I say, wireless was an issue for me but uh um did you ever let the system lock to see it to to get the lock screen yes i did um i i did not realize that because i set it to log in automatically um which is mm -hmm. weird it'll log in automatically but then if i leave it alone it will lock and at first i thought oh great something happened it screwed up i didn't realize it was a lock screen but it was a cool looking lock screen it was. It was a very well-designed lock screen. I was really shocked at how well, you know, most of them are just a simple box that you type your password in. This one actually had somebody 
spent some time and designed this thing, so it looked really well. Right. Um, I, I hate to say that as a as a big blaring thing that I I liked about it, but you know, having that type of detail on just a lock screen shows how far this this distro is going to go if they have enough traction behind them. They're going to sit down and spend the time to, you know, make everything right. Uh, and I'm sure the guys that the, that are working on it, you know, they are ex Mint guys. They know how the system works. They know how Debian is. I don't think it'll take them long to get this po the polishing down and to get the drivers into the kernel that you're probably missing, Seth. But um, yeah, I, I think it's a good project. I, I hope they get some traction and they end up. You know, maybe fighting with the big boy someday. Yeah, and you know, and that is one thing. When I researched this particular, um, I saw, figured out what type of uh, wireless card I had. This wasn't just a Solus issue. This was like there was issues with this in Linux or in Mint and in Debian as well. So it isn't just Solus screwed up the kernel. This is a this is something all the distributions are having to work through. So, um, and again. I don't know what it was. It could have been my network or something, but I, I think I found what will fix the issue, but whenever I run the code, it errors out trying to reach the Debian FTP site. So I don't know if uh, maybe some firewall or something was in the way, um, or I just picked a bad time of day uh, to do it. But um, I found a fix, and the fix hasn't had a chance to run yet to know if that will resolve it or not. So I don't want to say that it's a it's a bad thing when... I haven't had a chance to run the fix yet. Um, yeah. But all in all, out of, I would say out of, I would give it a thumbs up. I would say if, if you're definitely looking at trying to, a new distro that you don't mind being in the older crowd, the the, the more granddaddy type of OS, um, and it, since it's based on Debian, you know, it's it's rock solid. I mean, that it just shows with how fast the machine, all the machines ran in it. You're, lower spec netbooks in my really low spec VM that I gave it. Um, there's a lot of special juice that they do to, to keep that stuff out of, to, that keeps that system running, you know, smooth and clean. Yeah. So. Yeah. Show somebody, um, you know, if you have, if you know somebody that, that, or if you're a big Windows 7 user, load this up on something with equal specs or with half the specs and compare. Compare what the start screens look like. You know, they look Again, they might be called different things, but they look very similar. It, it's they made an effort to make it look like Windows Seven. Um, at least that's my opinion. Well, it, it it was good. So with that, let's uh round up the show here. Um, so Seth, what's your end user tip of the week? Uh, well, we will stick this link in the show notes. But I ran across this this guy. He found um he his grandparents had died and so he was going through and found his grandmother's old encyclopedia set from 1956 and he found an article on computers and again this is over 50 years old and he kind of talked about that and kind of how some of the same issues in computers back then or today but just how computing has changed um anyway it it's just an interesting read if you're like if you're a bit of a geek, which you probably are listening to this show, and I am. It was a fascinating read. It took maybe five or ten minutes to read it, but it's a 1956 encyclopedia's view on the computer. And again, we'll stick that link out there when we drop the show. And uh, so that's my um, 
That's my link of the week. <laughs> I think we should change your thing from tip of the week to link of the week. That's what we seem to be feeding everybody. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, Chris, how can somebody go about getting in touch with you? With me? Yes. Well, how about us as the show? Um, you can always get a hold of us over at the Element OP website and give us a note there. You can follow us on the Twitters, um, at Element OP. Um, we're all listed in there somewhere. We're all in a group. There's also the Facebook. Um, but honestly, find us over on the Element OP website and go and take a look at the forums. Go look at the rest of our shows. Uh, there's lots of stuff there. We also have a call-in link where if you wanted to call and leave us a message at 559-IAM-OP and on the website there's a call you button that if you click the button, feed it your phone number, it'll call you and you can leave us a message. And we'll post those messages on the show and make fun of you or ridicule you or actually maybe use a suggestion for the show. So keep those show topics coming. I'm sure we'll use them, especially with the the great move of Mark's. Um, we're going to be kind of flying a little solo here and there. Um, we need more more stuff, and maybe we can bring some more things to you. Um, as far as I'm concerned right now, me and Seth are going to try and keep doing these Google Hangouts. So if you guys want to come over to the the public broadcast of these Google Hangouts when we're doing it, it's every night at or every Sunday at seven. Uh, we try to be on time, but honestly, we're always late. So <laughs> don't don't kill us. And that is seven um, Mountain, eight Central. So that would be nine yes. Atlantic and six Pacific. I think. There you go. He's the man with the time zones. <laughs> <laughs> and and with that, we'll end the show and say, hey guys, come on back and listen to us again at, over at elementop.com. Yeah, y'all have a great day. And uh, just to, just a reminder again that we are kind of we're kind of in a state of flux. Um, do you want to ridicule us? Give us a call. Um, but again, we we don't know if the show may be changing a little bit in the coming weeks. But we plan to be here for a while. So uh, y'all have a great week. And of course, when this drops on weekend, when this drops on Wednesday, your work week will be half over. So uh, y'all come back now, you guys. Happy hump day. See you guys later.